welcome to the People Who Read People podcast, hosted by me, Zachary Elwood. This is a podcast aimed at better understanding other people and better understanding ourselves. You can learn more about it at behavior-podcast.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with your friends and family. Helping me get more listeners is the main way you can encourage me to do more work on this podcast. Thanks for that. Today, I talked to Larry Hart, who's a Division I college football coach at the University of Houston and the author of the book, The Recruits Playbook, a four-year guide to college football recruitment for high school athletes. I talked to Larry about reading and predicting behavior in football. We talk about some specific tells that are sometimes used to get an edge on opponent players and teams. And just to clarify for any international listeners, just in case, we're talking about American football here, not soccer. Larry and I also talk about the importance of reviewing footage of past football games and of specific players, and how big a role analyzing behavior plays in football in general. We also talk about trying to read coaches in terms of the signals they give the players and the formation patterns they choose. We talk about the mental stress of competitive sports, especially for young people. We talk about the risk of going on tilt when things go badly. We talk about the challenges of recruiting and the softer skills involved in trying to predict how young players will perform. If you like this talk, you might also enjoy some earlier talks I had that were also sports-focused. In a previous episode, I talked to John Hoffling, a sports analyst and broadcaster, about reading tells in football and other sports. In another episode, I talked with well-known tennis coach Carlos Gaffi about reading behaviors in tennis. A little more about my guest, Larry Hart. He has over a decade of firsthand knowledge of football, He's an All-American college athlete, an alumni NFL draft pick, and currently an outside linebackers coach at University of Houston. He also has a master's degree in communication studies. You can check out his book, The Recruits Playbook, on Amazon and other booksellers. You can also follow him on Twitter at Coach Larry Hart. That's H-A-R-T. Okay, here's the talk with Larry Hart. Hey, Larry. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Zach. Um, I'm fired up to to be on your show this morning. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Let's start with maybe a good place to start would be one episode I did for my podcast was about the Ben Roethlisberger tell that got some attention a couple years ago. And maybe we could start with your opinion on that whole Ben Roethlisberger foot indicator story and talk about maybe how common such things are in the football world. First off, I, I thought the, the article was uh, really, really cool. Talking about um, his foot and every time it was aligned a certain way, it indicated whether uh, it was pass or not or pass versus run. So those things like that are, are actually really common in football and because football is such a, a sport of habit and things kind of are so repetitive and you get into such a routine in football. So sometimes they kind of go unnoticed. And um, football is, is is so unique and it's such an art to it because to be really a, a really effective football player, you have to get in a rhythm, you have to get in a routine. And so within the game itself, sometimes things like that kind of go unnoticed uh, because players are such a, a creature of habit. And so, yeah, they, they show up a lot, you know. So from week to week game planning as a football coach, you'll see – where sometimes offensive linemen, they'll tip runner pass or sometimes quarterbacks or will, will touch their towels when they're, when they're getting ready to throw the football because they know like, hey, I got to be accurate here. Um, 
O-linemen, they'll stagger their stance a little bit more. They're, they'll lean forward when it's run or they'll stagger their stance when it's passed. And so I think uh, when it comes to preparation and film study as football coaches, it's a really cool deal to, to see things like that and notice that on film. And sometimes you can uh, translate that information over to the players, which can can give you an advantage. And I know just weekly in our preparation for opponents, you know, that's something that I actually look for every week. And I study, you know, hours of film trying to uh, give us an edge uh, on our opponent, because if we know it's run or pass, that helps us out a lot as defensive coaches, because a lot of what we do is reactionary. We don't know what the opponent's going to do as defensive coaches. So we look for any advantage that we can from our opponent that we're going to go against. Is his eyes looking a certain way or, or his head pointing in a certain direction? What's his demeanor here, you know, on certain plays and certain things that they do to, to give you any tip or any advantage? You know, those are things that we look for as football coaches um, all the time. We read body language. We read stances, alignments, uh, any little thing that you can think of uh, to give us an advantage. We, we do that. That was one thing I wondered about the Roethlisberger story was it seemed like it got a lot of attention, but I kind of wondered, do, do teams have a, a motivation to not talk about that stuff and keep that knowledge secret? And if it is more common like that, was it just that that particular thing got out in the mainstream, but it, there's other things like that that teams just don't let out in the in the wild that much? Yeah, um, especially in the NFL. Uh, I wouldn't think they would they would want that information to get out uh, because more than likely, uh, if you're Pittsburgh, they play the same opponents uh, twice in a season. Okay, so they're going to play the they're going to play the Ravens, they're going to play the Browns, and they're going to play the Bengals twice each season, and they're going to re- play those guys. I mean, every year. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're in the same division, so. I wouldn't want that information to get out because <laughs> mm-hmm. because I'm like, I want to keep using this information week in and week out. Right. When it gets out, you can't use it. Yeah. Yeah. No question. No question. So um, there's certain things uh, that you, you know, hey, if it helped us win this time, um, I definitely don't want that information to keep getting out or get out. So he could uh, potentially change that, you know, because especially like in the NFL or well, even in college now, man, the the margin for error or the margin to, to, to win is so small. I mean, every game is competitive. Every game is tough. Just last night, you look at Virginia Tech and NC State. I mean, NC State came in as a big-time favorite, and they only won by one point, you know. So any given Saturday, you know, you can uh, lose a ball game. So you're looking for an edge to win um, all the time. Right. In that case, in that Roethlisberger case, that was a, a fan, not a fan, but – somebody who was trying to be a um, Theo Ash was his name. He was, he was not in on the teams or anything. He was just somebody who does analysis, his own analysis. And so that made sense why he would be the one to, to out that because there's that, that could theoretically be something other teams knew, but just nobody would talk about publicly kind of thing. Right. Absolutely. That is a hundred percent correct. I've often wondered how much do teams study game tape and maybe you could, talk a little bit about that and how much of that study is about reading actual behaviors versus, you know, studying the the non-behavioral, just just basic strategies and, and decisions of, of players? Yeah, I would say, um, you know, everybody has roles as coaches. So 
on a staff, obviously, if you you know, I work with the defensive front. So you're primarily going to be studying kind of one section of, of the game plan. So we, we kind of break it down because you have a, a full staff of guys. We have probably about nine guys on the defensive staff. So everybody on the staff has a specific role that they kind of hone in on. And they when we all kind of bring it together. And obviously the defensive coordinator puts together the whole plan. So, you know, with my role, I'll watch some of the front stuff, but then I'll specifically look at behaviors or I'll look at certain I'll look specifically at players, man, I'll spend, you know, a good amount of time. I'll probably say within a week, I'll spend about six hours just trying to study, you know, behaviors or when I say behaviors, looking at their body language, looking at uh, certain things on film, trying to find a consistency to know one thing in particular, run pass or if I can find some kind of tip on a particular play. That was one thing you emphasized in your book was the importance of, of studying the game tape as, as one thing you could do to, you know, really advance your, your football knowledge and, and wisdom. And uh, I'm curious, is a lot of it when you, in practice, when you're studying the game tape, is, is most of it studying the team and players that you're playing next? Is that, am I getting that right? Yeah. So we, we play uh, the University of South Florida tomorrow. And uh, we played University of, well, we played Navy last Saturday. So as soon as we get done playing Navy uh, last Saturday, we'll come in Sunday the next day. We'll kind of finish up watching the last game if we need to make any adjustments, blah, blah, blah. But when it, Sunday evening, probably around 3 or 4 o'clock, that's kind of where we transition fully uh, on to South Florida. So we'll go from midday Sunday all the way up to this point now, uh, Friday, you know, just completely focusing on uh, South Florida and watching that opponent, uh, putting in hours upon hours of film study to to get ready for those guys. Mm-hmm. I was reading an article last few days, a few days ago, it was about studying game tape. And one of the things they mentioned was watching a, a fullback who would kind of telegraph where he was going to go based on his eye direction, you know, where he was watching and that, that gave the opponents a huge edge. They would just run wherever he was looking. And you had mentioned that too, talking about where players look. Is that, am I understanding that's a, that's a big source of, of behavioral tells is just where people look. Yeah. hundred percent. That's a big one, man. It, it really is. Like I said, football players are, are a creature of habit and they get in the rhythm and they get into habits, and yeah, they they will tip some things. And mm-hmm. there there has been uh, opponents this week. I mean, not this week, but this year. I'm sorry. That will tip whether it's run or pass. You know, old linemen will do it. Running backs will be looking in a certain direction. I mean, sometimes the running backs will look where okay, it's pass pro, and they got to help in the protection, and they'll be looking at the guy that they have, or they'll be you know, based on their demeanor, they may be, they know that they're about to get the ball. And so they'll be kind of looking in the direction of the run. So, yeah, I mean, those things are, (laughs) those things are very common. And those are things that we do look for is just looking at um, demeanor and stances and things like that. I mean, that is, um, it's very common in football, man. And it's really interesting to talk about it, but those are some of the things that we look for one of the things that we do is we don't want opponents to know. So we will 
yell it verbally on film. You know, we'll we'll yell it verbally on the field, but we won't ever give a uh, point. We won't ever do anything with our hands. So that's one Mm -hmm. thing that we'll do is we'll yell it out there on the field, but we don't want to put it on film to let opponents know that we have a tip on them. Okay, so we'll yell our we'll yell. um, We have a certain word that we use for pass, and I won't tell you what that is. But (laughs) tell us all your secrets. I know, right? So we have a certain word that we use, and just say if it's north, 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 north. So we'll yell it, but we won't point because if we point, and every time we point in the sky, our opponents will see that. So they'll be like, Mm -hmm. "Man, what do those guys know?" So we'll say it, and then you'll see players kind of um, adjust their alignments to get in a better pass stance, and then we'll go get after the quarterback. Yeah, it makes sense that there'd be so many behavioral patterns, you know, like the stance you, you were talking about. That was Roethlisberger's thing where it was like whether his foot was off the ground, and it, it makes sense that there'd be those kind of indications, you know, just getting ready for a specific play, one, one play or another, you know. Man, absolutely. You know, really – I think that um, the the old linemen, I more times than not give it away a lot, and I think it's it's very difficult for those guys sometimes to hide it because if it's run, you can just look at their 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 base, right? A lot of times their feet will be slightly wider when it's run because they got to kind of shift their weight and they got to be able to get ready to 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 move a three hundred pound guy when it's passed. A lot of times those guys will kind of get their stance a little bit more narrow and they'll kind of elevate their pad level a little bit because now they got to get ready to go backwards mm. and get out of their stance because you got a, a, a really fast guy coming off the edge. So those things, man, um, guys, I, I think when you start getting into the flow of the game and they're not thinking about well, let me not tip, run, or pass. They're thinking about, man, I just got to get my job done because, I mean, this dude here is really freaking fast. It's coming after the quarterback, you know, mm-hmm. and I got to <laughs> get ready to stop it, you know. Right. Yeah, it seems like there's only so much, you know, even if you knew you were theoretically given a little bit away in the in the heat of the battle, it's like you got to do what you have to do in a, in a quick way. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. But besides the um, eye direction, looking where – people are going to go and the behavioral, like the body posture stance and, and base and feet and such. Are those the main things you would say as, as far as the main patterns people look for? And, and also, you know, I think coaches have patterns. So there will be uh, certain formations that coaches will align in that, that they will primarily throw the ball out of. And we've seen that. So we're like, man, As you watch film, you watch film in patterns, by the way. You watch film in certain formation, backfield sets, and plays. So you input data into a system, and then you break your film down by watching all the same formation, backfield sets, plays. You watch all those things in order. Mm. And then you kind of break it down by situations like down and distance, all that stuff. So as you watch film in sequence and in order and in a certain flow, and then when some kind of pops out, like, well, then when you watch all the, the run game out of these certain formations, and then you get to another formation, you're like, these guys, every time they line in this formation, they throw the ball, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's an indication of that 
the offensive coordinator has a pattern. Okay. And so, and then you're able to relay to the kids. You're like, Hey, if they line up here and that back is aligned here, it's, it's freaking 90% that, Hey, it's going to be pass. Okay. Mm. Whatever that cold word is. And, and the players, and they see it and they be like, Hey, it's freaking pass. And then, Hey, we finna, uh, that's also a tip that we'll use. Mm-hmm. One thing I wondered with so much on the line in these, in these games, do they bring in, ever bring in outside like behavior experts or is it more just, you know, they, they use the people with the, the football knowledge. Uh, I could see it kind of going either way. Yeah. They, they primarily use coaches with, they, they use the coaches that's on staff because I think that we kind of, you know, I tell you it'd probably be interesting to bring in somebody from the outside, but we primarily use uh, the guys that are here that, that's on the staff. And, you know, that may be actually pretty interesting, Zach, to bring in an outside person because they may find some things that, you know, we may not necessarily look for, you know. Mm -hmm. That's what I was kind of wondering. It'd be like, you know, because when you're close to something, it can be hard to to come in with fresh eyes. And I kind of wondered if that sometimes happened. Yeah, I think that would be interesting because sometimes people that have knowledge of behavior may see certain things that we don't see, you know, is – is a guy rubbing, you know, rubbing his leg or rubbing his towel? Is he, you know, getting on pass plays? Is he getting antsy prior to the, the film, you know, on the film, you know? So there may be certain, like, uh, certain tips that a, beha- a behavior specialist could uh, pull out. What about uh, false tells? Do do players, you know, being aware of how much they're being watched, do, is there ever a case of people doing a false indicator of what they're going to do to, th- to throw the uh, other team off and, and how common is that? <laughs> yeah. I, I know offensive coaches um, or I think even, I mean, all coaches, I think they, they have a tendency to do that. So it's, it's common in football that um, after about four or five weeks of playing or when you get to your bye week, coaches will do uh, what's called a self-scout. So they'll do a breakdown on themselves and see what they've kind of done. And, um, They'll kind of find certain patterns that they do, and then they'll go out there that next week and they'll try to break those patterns, so to speak. Mm. You know, so there is a coaches will do that. Um, But I think just sometimes if you get into a rhythm where you're playing games weekly back to back to back to back, a lot of times it's difficult to put in that time to self-scout yourself because so much of your energy is going to that opponent. A lot of times it comes during your bye week when you have uh, extra time. And talking before this, you had talked about the uh, signal stealing in uh, football, which also happens in other sports and in baseball and such. And maybe you could explain what that is, especially for a non-football audience, what, what, what that involves. Yeah. So the communication between the football players and the coaching staff, so they have to communicate to the players what – what play that, that the coaches want to run on that particular um, down. So, I mean, obviously you got, you got four downs to get a first down. Most people punt on fourth down. So in those first three downs, the coaches have to tell the players, like, hey, we're going to run inside zone left out of this formation. So they communicate through signals. So somebody may tap their head and they tap their head, point at their eyes and, flex their muscles or whatever. Mm-hmm. So they'll give these different signals to tell what the play is going to be. 
and again, based upon just different patterns that coaches have that they call that, you know, most coaches have the same plays that they run over and over again. And what you can do, and I know this is popular with coaches across America, that they'll look at the, um, so you have your regular film that you have on your system, but then you also have a TV copy of the game. So you'll look at that TV copy and then, you know, oftentimes on that TV copy, they'll have the sideline and the coaches that are signaling. And so if you if you like, you can put in a lot of time just watching the offensive sideline and watching the the signal guys signal something in and then you'll watch the play actually being ran. And so if you do that long enough, you'll kind of pick up on a pattern between their signals and um, and what they're actually running. And so and then you get to the game day, you're like, man, I've seen that signal before when they did this signal. It was a, this particular pass play. So mm-hmm. and that can potentially give give you an advantage there. And so that's why you'll see some people have, uh, you know, they'll use these drapes and they'll use all these different things to try to cover up their signals. And you'll have three or four signal signal guys to make it difficult um, on the 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 opponents so it is a pretty common common deal in college football Mm -hmm. yeah one interesting thing about that is it seemed like it was kind of thought of as a little bit underhanded so people wouldn't talk about that it was a thing and the same in in baseball too but it also seems like it's not surprising at all considering how high stakes these games are that you would try to get every advantage possible so do you have a sense of how underhanded is it viewed to do that versus, you know, is it just, is it just common knowledge that everybody does it and, and it's just outside of the game that it's viewed as underhanded? I think within, within college football, I think everybody knows that there is a potential for uh, signal stealing. And I think the, the signal stealing is not as big of a deal, like in terms of it's being viewed as, oh, you're a big time cheater. You know, people in college football don't view it that way. They view it as, okay, we're going to do as good of, good of a job we can, kind of hiding who's signaling, whatever the case may be. And you also have these other set of coaches like, you know, if you put in that much time um, trying to steal our signals, if you're going to dedicate that much time, then that's going to actually take time away from preparation. And we don't really care anyway because you got to go out there and execute. Mm-hmm. Um so kind of coaches fall in that, that kind of a mindset. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It reminds me of, uh, there, there's in, in poker that, you know, there's what they call angle shooting, which is a word, uh, for, for doing something that's perceived as a bit underhanded, but it's definitely a gray area because, you know, everybody knows that when you're playing poker or, or most really competitive games, you're trying to get every edge. So it's, it's kind of on you to, to watch out for those things, even if you think they're a little bit underhanded and uh, it probably is similar in, in, in most games. Yeah. I got a quick question, Zach. So now and I've been kind of curious about this in poker. Is there, and you know that there's a lot of money in the pot. Does the pressure kind of increase on the poker player to maintain his composure? If he knows he's got a good hand or he's trying to bluff or whatever the case may be as the game kind of builds, does, mm-hmm. is, is there pressure on the player? Yeah, that's a great question. Actually, I think it that's one of the key things I, I talk about in my in my poker tales book is these situational categories because as the pot gets bigger, as you say, like as the as the stakes basically ramp up, especially 
in no limit, you know, where, where the amount you bet actually gets bigger. Usually, uh, typically, you know, you're usually betting much bigger on the, on the river, sometimes even all in. So yeah, the, the, the emotional categories can be very different. And sometimes early in a hand, when the stakes are low, the tells you'll find are just much different because they're usually tells of more like, well, is somebody mentally focused or not? Whereas like later in a hand, when somebody's betting, everybody's focused because there's so much money in the pot and so much at stake. So the tells aren't really about lack of focus or, or focus or, or these kinds of things. They're more about is somebody betting and is there indicators of them either being relaxed with a strong hand or nervous with a, uh, with a bluff, you know, so it becomes more polarized, but yeah, it's a great question. I, I feel like that's an, a very important point about poker is how the, the stakes change the emotional factors. Yeah. Right. Gotcha. Oh, uh, one other thing I wondered was do teams ever use lip reading because I've read about a little bit of paranoia on coaches parts, like covering their mouths when they're, when they're talking to players and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I will say this now, the, the coaches, coaches can be very, very paranoid. Um, you know, you'll, you'll have a limited amount of people that, that can come to practice. And now that is um, in college football, that is very underhanded thing. If you have people that'll actually come to somebody's practice and video somebody's practice. Now that is a very underhanded and that will in college football get somebody very upset. But yeah, coaches, yeah. <laughs> yeah, coaches have a tendency to be very uh, paranoid in their playbook sheets. And, you know, when they're out there calling plays, they do cover their mouth. Um, now, I don't think that people are really I don't think that's a thing where people look at the mouth reading and all that stuff. But but that is something that that coaches are is uh, there is some paranoia that, that goes on with coaches, man, for sure. Yeah, I'd imagine it's like even if you think it's a very slim possibility, it's like, well, you might as well do a few extra things just to make sure. Yeah. No question. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. So uh, before we move on to, uh, I was going to ask some questions about recruiting, but do you have anything else you want to talk about uh, that we, anything major we didn't discuss about reading, predicting players on the field? Well, I was, I was interested to think about um, the prep, like, you know, just talking about the pressure you know, as the game kind of continues on in, in college football, um, I think there is something to be said about like when the when the game kind of builds and it's a tight game. I think there is an emotional factor there to where if the game is tight, then you know some some guys perform better, and then when the game is tight, some guys kind of don't perform as well. Mm. And I wonder, and I was curious to think about this too, and I wonder if that's like in poker or, you know, I guess that's in other environments too. Of, I would assume that as the game kind of gets tighter in poker, that some guys play better and then some guys don't can't hold their composure. And I think it's kind of similar like that in football. As the game kind of swells and gets tight, I wonder if players don't perform, players sometimes don't perform as well when the game's tight, right? Yeah, maybe they have like different yeah, maybe they they're more likely to to leak some information in those high high emotion spots. No question. Is that is that something do do you ever notice in reviewing game tape is it ever something you notice where you, something like this 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 specific player uh doesn't perform well under pressure is that ever something noticed? You know, I think really 
probably the, the position to, yeah, I would say, yeah, I think quarterbacks show up a lot. Um, I think, you know, there's certain players on the team, man, where if they – in football, really, man, if you give up a big play, like if you're a, a, a DB and you give up a big play because everybody can see you, you know, if you give up a long touchdown pass, whatever, I mean, that's pretty doggone embarrassing because everybody sees you. And in this, it was a big moment in the game. I mean, I think that that can now – um, I think you can see that that player may change his, you know, his ability to perform as well, you know, mm-hmm. or perform really well. And I think, you know, in football, that is something that kind of shows up. Like if a quarterback throws an interception, <laughs> you know, how is he going to come back that next drive and play? You know, mm-hmm. I think that is a something with football is like momentum and the ability to handle adversity like if something bad happens how are you able to come back off of that um, adversity because I mean especially say if you're on the road and you throw interception the crowd is going crazy and they're yelling and screaming the stadium is rocking and then you got to be able to to put that play behind you and then focus on the next play you know Mm -hmm. and I would imagine you know that it may be similar to poker, man. Like you think that you have somebody and you're feeling good about yourself. And next thing you know, you, you know, he wins on the last card on something lucky and you're all angry about it and frustrated. And now, but you have to get your composure back and play the next play, so to speak. Yeah. That's the, like they talk about in poker tilt, which applies to, I think every game, you know, if you, if you, something bad happens to you, uh, whether you make a mistake or, just a, a random outcome, you know, that I think that's really what separates the, uh, the, the very strong players in any field from the, the weaker players is just the, how do you handle tilt? How do you handle getting emotionally upset? You know, can you continue playing your best or does it send you down a, a landslide of, of playing bad? You know? I'm curious, how did you handle that, Zach? When you play poker, how did you handle that? That's a, that's a good question. I, I've actually written about that in my books, how I, I was, actually not well suited to playing poker professionally, which was one of the reasons I didn't pursue it. You know, I, I was never, I always knew that I, I had a pretty anxious temperament. Like I had anxiety and depression issues when I was young. And I always knew, you know, and that, and that came out in my game too, because I didn't handle adversity very well. And that would have been something I really would have had to do a lot of self-work on to work through to become, you know, a high stakes poker player, which is you know, one of the reasons I, I didn't really pursue it as a, uh, you know, very long as a, as a career, just because I think some people just are better suited, you know, in, in poker, they call it having alligator blood where winning and losing doesn't really bug you. You know, you just maintain this neutral stoic uh, composure. And I, I definitely didn't have that, you know, it was something I, I got better on, you know, playing at years after years, but it still was a problem for me. And I think that's, you know, that that's common for a lot of people in any, any pursuit, you know, the, uh, any competitive pursuit, it's it's how well do you handle the uh, the adversity, the, the the downswings and such, you know. Yeah. So, is that something that you think could can most can people develop that, or is that something that you just have? Right? Do you just have alligator blood, or is that something that you can develop? Yeah, that's a that's a big question. I might I might turn that back on you because you you probably have seen a lot more, you know. Yeah with the recruiting and, and seeing kids play and such young people play, do you, do you feel like it's something you can develop? 
You know, um, I think it's man. Um, it's really that's a that's a very inter- interesting question. Um, I I think it is something that you can develop, like the, the mental toughness and and all that. I do think it is something that you can develop. the The key is though, Zach, is are you going to continue to put yourself out there to take those risks? Though, you know, I think mm-hmm. mentally it takes a lot for if you're a person that struggles with anxiety, all that, because I did a little bit myself as a player. And so you're just kind of nervous or you're unsure about things, but I just kind of continue to put myself out there. And Mm -hmm. sometimes you fall on your face and sometimes you're successful. And I don't know, I guess the bigger question is, are guys willing to continue to take those risks, you know, and are you willing to go out there and put yourself out there to to either be the hero or to be the villain or to fall on your face or to be successful. I mean, I think that's where the rubber meets the road. You can develop it. I just think that it's very difficult to continue to put yourself out there, so to speak. Yeah, I think it's it's such a life challenge in, in general. Like no matter what you do, it's it's like how much do you continue doing things that make you uncomfortable because on one hand, it's it's like doing things that make you uncomfortable is how you grow and how you get out of the discomfort. But on the other hand, if you're continually doing something that makes you uncomfortable, you know, there's always the question of, well, will this get easier? Are, are other people better suited at this than me? And I should just give up. You know, there's always this, and you, and you talk a little bit about that in your in your book. It's like there's no there's no right answers. It, it comes down to a person's decisions and, and goals and feelings, and and it's so hard to to quantify these things because. Yeah, some people are just going to have a much harder time than others, and kind of like the the Rudy thing in football too, where it's like, well, could Ru- should Rudy in, in that movie should should he have focused maybe on something else if he wasn't you know well suited to be a uh, a great athlete? You know, it, it always comes down to these really complex questions of like how much you want it, how well suited you are to these things. Yeah, right. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Maybe you could talk a little bit about the uh, the recruiting. How much of recruiting is an art versus a science, and how, how much involves recognizing these kind of you know strong? Does it does a kid have a a strong character? Uh, are they gonna are they gonna push through adversity? Those kinds of things. Man, um, that is a that is a really really good question because recruiting is, I mean, that's the lifeblood of your program um, because you want kids that are that obviously have the ability to play, but then you want kids that are mentally tough, that that's willing to go through some adversity and handle it the right way and just grow and mature and develop. When you're talking to kids and parents, I mean, you're analyzing everything, uh, their background, you know, their family, you know, their family background, uh, you're talking to coaches, um, anybody that's connected with them, you want to try to gather up is, as much information on on that particular recruit as possible because you want to get a really good understanding of, of who you are, what individually you're bringing into your program because, I mean, that is your, your lifeblood. And so if you have uh, a lot of good kids that have talent and they also have uh, the, the right mental makeup, then you're probably going to have a good football team. But if you have kids that are, that are a little immature and 
uh, that really don't like to work. I mean, it's, you're going to have a tougher time winning football games. So, uh, but that also, I mean, it's recruiting is not just with players, it's with your coaching staff as well. And the people that you have around every day that's uh, feeding into your program. So I think there's a lot of things that, that go, go into that. Um, but anyway, but yeah, I talk a lot about that in my book and, you know, the, the recruits playbook, you know, I'm trying to help college students understand what they're walking into and how to grow and develop while they're in high school to be prepared for college football, because it is college football is a challenge and it's very difficult. So, but yeah, for coaches, you, you have to do a really good job of evaluating uh, who, who you're bringing into your program and probably the behavior and the, the mental makeup is probably more important um, or just as important, if not more than the, the physical capabilities for sure. Mm. Yeah, one of the things you mentioned to me, I'm not sure if you talk about it in the book, but um, it was something you mentioned about uh, young people being recruited and how they reacted to that and whether they, you know, they might, they might seem to want it too much or versus, uh, you know, maybe the opposite side of the spectrum, which wouldn't be good either would be not being that interested. And maybe you could talk a little bit about those kinds of indicators that, that let you know where someone's head is at. There's a, uh, there's certain red flags or indicators that coaches look for. If you're reaching out to a kid uh, on a consistent basis and he, you know, it may take him an hour or two to get back to you, but he does. He's always kind of consistent in his communication. You're like, okay, I think that there's, you know, there's genuine interest between me and him. and You know, we like him and, you know, okay, cool. So we'll kind of proceed forward in that, that conversation. So what could be a red flag is, say, for instance, you look on the Internet and this kid has 16, 16 offers on his Twitter and, and you know, he's got all these – offers per se but then you know this kid is constantly hitting you up two to three times a day mm. and you haven't really reached out to him you're like man why is this dude hitting me up that's kind of weird that's kind of out of place so that's like a red flag you're like man what's going on there so so he's acting like he's more desired than than he seems to be yeah well it's like you know it's a couple things there you know it's it's like okay maybe i can put it in this deal like you have a young lady or a woman that's extremely attractive like most humans would say hey this man or lady is extremely attractive and you know that okay but this particular lady is always reaching out to the average looking guy she's always just constantly texting and calling this guy it's like man and she's just doing that out of the blue so it's kind of like you know, typically, you know, mm -hmm. guys approach you. So why are you constantly hitting you up? It's just a red flag. It's just kind of like what is something to look like, into. Yeah, yeah. It's like, well, hold on, man. Let me let me figure out what's kind of going on there because that's kind of out of the ordinary. Typically, when you have a lot of people recruiting you, you don't really reach out to people. So that's just kind of a red flag there. So what's really going on there? So it could be a sign that they they've been turned down by by other teams. Correct. Correct. That means gotcha. that he's really been turned down. He's he's kind of he's got some great issues. He's got something there that that could be or I mean, it just could be he could love recruiting and he's not serious about football. Uh, some people love recruiting more than they love 
playing the game of football. You know, they love attention, right? Mm -hmm. They just want the ability to tweet out, hey, I got this other school that offered me a, uh, offered me a scholarship so their mm -hmm. friends can go like it. So it's just all those things that you kind of have to sort through as a as a football coach, for sure. Yeah, I guess it's like in anything like dating or job seeking. It's like you don't want to you don't want to come off come across as as too needy or or giveaway indicators that yeah. yeah you've been you've been uh, overlooked by other people and stuff like that. Yeah, correct. Mm -hmm. Any other uh, red flags come to mind that you you care to talk about in the recruiting space? Just how you communicate to coaches is 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 he rude? Is he dismissive? Things like that, man. Uh, I mean, that's just the common courtesy things like that that you that you kind of look for uh, when you bring them up on a visit. How does he treat the the recruiting girls when he's up here and the people that are helping uh, get him from point A to point B? Uh, little things like that that you're you're constantly looking for um, and evaluating personalities and things of that nature. It must be so hard to predict how people will react to. You know, once they're once they're on a team, and especially once they, if they get attention and they're sort of a celebrity on the team. I mean, I've always thought about how kind of deranging being famous would be, and it seems like it's really hard to predict how people react will react to that. Whether they'll kind of crumble under the pressure, or else kind of become narcissistic and and behave in other different bad ways. So it just must be really hard to predict how how people will react. Yeah. yeah. It, it is very, very hard to predict. Uh, some guys handle it well. Some guys don't handle the pressure as well. Some guys become a little bit more arrogant and um, some, you know, fall in love with, like I said, some fall in love with Instagram and they just want to post pictures and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, it is very, very difficult to predict how people will react uh, once they get into um, a in the spotlight because, you know, especially like at major universities and we're really good university too. But when you get to I mean, LSU, if you're a star player on LSU or you're on the LSU football team, I mean, you're, you're kind of in the spotlight, so to speak, or any Ohio state, Miami, any Texas, I mean, any of those major schools, man. And once you get in the spotlight and, everybody telling you how cool you are and all that stuff. So how do you kind of handle all of that? I mean, that is very difficult to predict because most kids, when they come into college, what, how old are they? 19, 20 years old. So trying to predict how a 19, 20 year old will, will handle pressure. <laughs> Good luck to you. Yeah. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of chaos in that. Yeah. Potentially. Tough, <laughs> tough, tough endeavor. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we've covered a lot of interesting stuff. Is there anything you, you want to talk about, uh, whether that's behavior-related things or or if you just want to go to talk about, uh, you know, what, what your projects are, maybe your book or, or anything you're working on now? Well, I mean, probably the main thing is, Zach, I, I, I'm thankful that you took out the time, man, to, to speak with me a little bit. And I was very excited for this opportunity. And so I appreciate it, man. You're doing great work. Um, and I'm also... Um, you know, like I said, I'm working on the well, I'm not working on it. I did publish the recruits playbook and is is designed for high school student athletes to um, understand the recruiting process and how to get themselves recruited and what to and what not to do. 
And, uh, you know, that's kind of where my passion is with young men and, and helping people out. Probably the, the number one thing is that, that I would like for people to get from my book is the ability to overcome, you know, adversity, to learn how to just wherever you are in from a behavior standpoint is to you don't know. You, you have to know that you don't have to stay there, that um, you can use difficulties to help you grow and strengthen your behavior to become the individual that you want to be. And I think we we were talking about that earlier. Uh, is that something that you can develop? Absolutely. I do think that it's something that you can develop. You may not be there right now, but if you just uh, stay in the fight or you continue to put yourself out there, learn and grow, um, I think the sky's the limit for any area that anybody wants to uh, go into, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you had asked me that earlier, and I should say, yeah, I do believe it is something you can you can grow. You know, uh, the the mental toughness for sure. I, I believe is is something you can you can develop. It might be harder for some people than others, depending on you know upbringing or or uh, you know biology or whatever it is. You know, it's these unknown factors. But I do, I definitely do believe it is something you can you can grow and get better at and, and overcome a lot of stuff. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I was wondering one thing I I wondered while we we're on that subject is how often considering the stresses of being a professional athlete, especially when you're young, is it pretty common that people get, you know, counseling, get it, get a, get a therapist. And if that is common, is it, does it have a stigma around it? Do do people talk openly about it? Yeah. I mean, I think that it's nowadays it's becoming really popular. You know, I know that the NFL offers free counseling, uh, for guys to utilize that. And I know that player development, like a lot of teams now have player development. They have things around to to help the guys and help the, the men to, to talk and to to let out, you know, to be able to have an area or a space to, to get their frustrations out, especially with these high-stress jobs. And, I mean, just kind of where, you know, society, society is now, man, there's a, there's a lot of things kind of going on. And uh, people really – need those outlets to to kind of d- discuss those frustrations but i don't think that there is a negative st- uh, stigma to it now uh there may have been you know 10 15 years ago but now man it's uh it's, it's not negative at all people are like hey you got to get counseling or if you need somebody mm-hmm. to talk to man go get it <laughs> that's good yeah that's nice Absolutely. Uh, all right larry this has been great yeah thanks a lot for coming on and i appreciate uh, you taking the time yeah man thank you so much zach and, and you have a good one man Take care. That was University of Houston football coach Larry Hart, author of the book, The Recruits Playbook. You can follow him on Twitter at Coach Larry Hart. If you like this talk, just a reminder about the other sports-related episodes of my podcast, which you can find at behavior-podcast.com. I'm Zach Elwood, and if you're interested in my PokerTells work, you can find that at my PokerTells site, readingpokertells.com. If you enjoy this podcast and want to encourage me to work on it more, Please share episodes with your friends and family. Thanks for listening. Music by Small Skies.